Our psalm this morning begins with these words and this thought. We were glad when you restored us, O Lord. That's the thought of the first few verses. But you only have to scan down a little further to verse 4 when you see the very same psalm pray again, restore our fortunes, O Lord. How strange. We are restored, verse 1, but restore us, Lord, verse 4. Here then seems to be a psalm about wanting more, a psalm about longing, a psalm about yearning. Let me ask you this morning, do you ever long for more? Maybe this morning you would love to have more joy in the Christian life. Maybe this morning you would like to have, you would like there to be more success for the Christian church. Maybe you feel today like your spiritual life wasn't what it once was. And Lord, oh, take me back to that time when I was more on fire for you. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you just have this yearning for the church. Lord, restore our fortunes. Bring revival in the land. Well, whatever we think about our present situation as Christians... I suspect it's true that we all want more. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, says this psalm, perhaps says our hearts too. And so I suspect it was for those who first sung Psalm 126 as one of the Psalms of Ascent. It's commonly believed that this little collection of Psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 were used in the ascent to Jerusalem to go up to Passover to attend the great Feasts. These psalms we have in our Bible are like a little dog-eared songbook, a little dog-eared hymn book, the playlist that was sung every year to go and praise God. Are you going up to the temple? Come on, sing with me. You can share my songbook. And this is the songbook. Every year they would go. That journey would, of course, be costly. You can imagine picking up this hymn book to sing it and thinking, oh, I've left work behind. Can I really afford to go to Jerusalem this year? It'd be costly. That trip would also be gut-wrenching. You're going to the place of worship. This is what the Old Testament people of God used to do. They were going to the place of worship. But it wasn't in good order. You'd come to Jerusalem, and as Temple Mountain came into view, well, the site wouldn't be all that glorious. I think it would probably be, I suspect, a scene like we're seeing on the news only later. You know, Ukraine after war had passed and people had started to rebuild. They came to Jerusalem and it was gut-wrenching, a shadow of its former glory. So no surprising, no surprise then that we have a psalm like this at, at this point. Lord, we're back. We're back in Jerusalem. You've restored us. But what do they pray? Lord, restore us more. Restore our fortunes again. We want more. Now, some of us today are here, and for the first time, maybe, you are facing disappointment. Maybe you haven't been a Christian all that long, and you're just starting to realize that the church isn't as great as you thought it was. Maybe living as a Christian is harder than you realize, and you're just starting to feel a little bit jaded. Maybe others of us here today have had a heart of longing for the church for years and years and years. 
Maybe you remember the great Billy Graham missions of the past and all the stories associated with those. And we're desperate for their return. We prayed for our church. We prayed for our family. We prayed for our friends. We prayed, Lord, restore our nation. Maybe you feel like you just can't do it anymore. Some of us, I suspect here, <laughs> may be so frustrated with Christianity and Christianity in our land that we're just frustrated and fed up. We're millimetres away from turning our back on church altogether. Oh, moaning has become our, our default mindset. Why can't they do something new, something more? Maybe your mind is turning more to people and projects than to God. We're longing, and longing is good, of course, but our longings need to be shaped by God. Our desperation can so easily turn to disappointment and despair, left unattended. And so we have these wonderful Psalms of Ascent. They teach us to stick with the one true God, the living God, come what may. Are you frustrated with the state of the church today in your Christian experience? Does your heart yearn, restore our fortunes, Lord? Well, good. Let your heart be shaped by God this morning. Only in him can our longings and our tears find joy in the journey. So this morning, I want to take us to two things in Psalm 126. Two things that are going to shape our yearning. Two things that are going to shape our longing. And the first one is this, in verses 1 to 3, number 1, remember restoration past. Remember restoration past. You see, joy might be hard to find now amid all the longing, but it hasn't always been so, says this psalm. Look at verses 1 and 2. The psalm sings and prays. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. In fact, this psalm says, the Lord's work was so great, they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Remember restoration past, says this psalm. This psalm takes us to a time in the past when God had restored Zion, God's city, and God's people, shorthand in those days for Jerusalem. Now, we don't know what moment in the past this psalm is referring to. We don't know what restoration this is exactly in Psalm 126. But there are so many that it could be in the Bible. I don't know that it matters very much. Think, so, think of all the tales of David and the nation being rescued. Think of the people in the Old Testament being rescued by the judges time and time again. And think, of course, most spectacularly of the Exodus rescue. Which event doesn't seem to be the, the big thing? Actually, notice here in this psalm, the point is what it felt like. Look at this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. The Lord restored our fortunes, and it felt like a dream. Alice in, Alice in Wonderland? What does this mean? They were like those who dream. Dreamers. I suspect you've probably had someone say to you at some point, hey, you look like you're in a dreamland. It's kind of that thing of kind of stunned amazement, isn't it? Of not really kind of being there or getting it or understanding what's going on around you. You're just totally amazed. This is what this psalm says. When God rescued them in the past, they were in a dreamland. They couldn't believe that they had been rescued. 
God's intervention, whenever it was, <laughs> seemed like something totally unbelievable, something seemingly impossible. It was a complete reversal of fortunes, and it had nothing to do with them. They were in a dreamland. It kind of reminds me, uh, I grew up on the Disney films, so forgive this illustration. It kind of reminds me of the end of the Peter Pan film. Anyone remember that? Wendy's back in the nursery, and she says, oh, it was wonderful. Um, um, Tinkerbell and the mermaids and Peter Pan, and, and then we sailed away in a ship in the sky. And Wendy's dad, George, says, I think I better go to bed. And they look out the window, and there's a ship in the sky. And he says, you know, I have the strangest feeling. I, I've seen that before when I was very young. He can't quite, was it real? Wasn't it real? Was I in a dreamland? Am I in a dreamland now? He doesn't know. And it's kind of that feeling now. This is something unbelievable, this rescue. You'd have thought they were dreaming it, except they weren't. The parting of the Red Sea? Surely that's a dream, isn't it? But it wasn't. The deliverances of David? The end of the exile? Oh, we imagined it, you'd have thought. But they didn't. It was real. And, and, and look at verse 2. When it, was, when it became real for them, their mouths filled with laughter. It's like the joy inside them bubbled up, exploded out of their mouths. And on the tip of their tongue, shouts of joy. All that they are exploding in rejoicing. Was it a dream? No. The nations declared it even too. A watching world. The Lord has done great things for them. This restoration in the past. Were their eyes deceived? No. The nations who could have said, oh yeah, Baal or Ashtoreth did it. You know, the false gods. They said, no, the Lord has done good things for them. And so look what, what verse 3 does. In remembering restoration past, the psalmist relives that joy. Joy enters the present. Verse 3. This is what they said in the past. Now we say, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Remember restoration past. What does this psalm do for us, for all of us who have an experience of longing and yearning? Well, this psalm, it grounds our longing in history, doesn't it? There was a film a few years ago called The Terminal, starring Tom Hanks. I don't know whether you remember that one. And Tom Hanks um, leaves one country and arrives in another. He's getting his connecting flight. But on the way, the country that he's come from disappears. There's a coup or something. And so he gets to the airport, and his passport isn't valid anymore because the country he came from doesn't exist anymore. And so he can't go forward. He can't make his connecting flight, but he can't go backward either. And so he, he, here's how it might be for us in our longing. It might be like, I'm longing, and Lord, it's not happening. I feel like I'm not going anywhere. And we might feel like we've got nothing to fall back on except despair and disappointment. But you see, that's not true. This psalm grounds us and tethers us to a history, to a story that can never leave us despairing. Where do we go back to? Not nowhere, but to rescue past. God has already done miracles for us. Let me ask you, by the way, this morning, if you're not a Christian here, listening in, what do you have to fall back on when you're disappointed? What gives you security? 
so that you don't despair. For the Christian, it is this. The Christian longs for the joy of restoration, longs for God's kingdom to come, longs for God to restore the church. But when it's slow in coming, the Christian doesn't fall into disappointment. They fall back into their story. For the Christian, they see that everyone who is trusting in the Lord in this room is a miracle. We were the disappointed, the despairing, those divided from God. But God did the impossible for us. In a miraculous work, God took a people bound for a world away from him. And he changed our heart and he's given us heaven because of Jesus. An impossible dream. You might have thought so. God entering this world? Nah, come on. That's Disney. That's Peter Pan, isn't it? That's really? God himself being numbered with those who rebelled against him? No. No, what? Never happened. God himself in the person of Jesus saying, what is due to Ollie? What is due to Steve? What is due to James? What is due to Stuart? Will not be due to them. But will be due to me. Will be my due. And I'll reboot them. And I'll rebirth them. It is unbelievable. Except for the empty grave. Except for the birth of the church. You see, our longing is shaped and is grounded as we remember restoration past. Hope and joy are built on a foundation. Longing without an anchor is going to be lost. But our longing is tethered to the truth, to, the, to our history. And, you know, I think it was that way for Jesus, too. You know, Jesus, see Jesus longing in the Gospels. Remember how he goes to Jerusalem and he says, um, Oh, that I would gather up my children like a hen, <laughs> like a mother. Jesus longs to gather them up. And yet he's attacked, he's questioned and so on. And what does he hold on to? You know, when people question him on on the resurrection, he says, remember what God did with Moses, how he appeared, God intervened miraculously. When they question him on what he's doing on the Sabbath, he says, remember how how God, how, how David fed the people. God intervened, there was rescue, deliverance. Jesus remembered the history. He remembered God's work in the past. We do the same. As Christians, do you long for the renewal of the church? Well, let me say this morning, don't do so at the expense of your grip of the past, of what God has already done. Don't long so much for the impossible and forget the impossible miracles that God has already done. We are actually living the dream, you and I. So here we are in the town of Ride, right? A town of 15,000 people, I guess, I suppose, if you look along to Binstead or Braiding, we might pull in another 15,000 or so, maybe 30,000, let's call it. And here are we at Grace Church and St. James's. And it seems so small. And so we long, Lord, renew the church. Lord, do the impossible. And we could get discouraged. We could say, look, we've started some new services. And, well, are they going well? I mean, I... How's it going? Has anything changed? Is our Christian life buzzing with revival? Well, the psalm says, before you slump back in your seat, when God restored you, it was like a dream. It seemed utterly impossible, but it wasn't. It was real. And that joy is still there for us to draw on today. 
Christian, you have been saved against all the odds. You are a miracle, longing for more miracles. And the God who does miracles, does he change? Will he change his ways? Will he act differently now to as he has in the past? Not on your Nelly. No, he won't. Friends, let us live out of that. We know God doesn't change. He still does miracles. We Actually, we can look around even here, can't we? In this building, there was a church called Elmfield Congregational Church that looked like it had died. Go back 15 years. Could the Lord restore something there? It seemed impossible. But God did. Joy has a history, as one person has said. Joy is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. And the challenge for us today, as we find joy in the past to shape our longings, is this. Will we live under, our, under a dictatorship of our longings, as good or as noble as they may be? Will we live under their terms and their timetables? Or will we decide to live out of the abundance of what God has already done for us? That's the thing to shape our longings, isn't it? And give us joy. So number one, remember restoration past. But number two, says this psalm, look to restoration future. Verses four to six. Look to restoration future. The psalm has just remembered the past, hasn't it? And it's kind of reclaimed the joy of the past. And it's, re- and it's relived it, sorry. But now it's going to reclaim joy from the future based on the promises of God. So look at verse 4. This psalm prays. Uh, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Oh, you go, yes, I know all about that. <laughs> no, we don't, do we? What on earth is this? Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev or Negev, I think. Well, apparently this area of uh, the Middle East was famous for, for having droughts a lot. So imagine a dry, cracked, arid, deserty, mountainous, valley-type place. And imagine if it rained in a place like that. All those dry gullies would flash flood, wouldn't they, with water. Water would roar through sudden, overwhelming water flows. The psalmist prays, would you bring restoration like that? Like a flash that would just suddenly happen. That's what this psalmist is after. The kind of thing that when it happens, you you need to get out of the way. (laughs) Almost. Apparently, the thing that is most stunning about the streams in the Negev when they happen is that a few days later, these dry valleys uh, become full of life. I would show you a photo, but I couldn't find a free one to put on the screen. So look it up when you go home. But apparently these valleys fill with um, grass, green grassy kind of reedy type things, and then beautiful purple flowers in days. This psalmist prays, do something spectacular and beautiful and sudden and swift. Streams in the Negev. Lord, you've restored us in the past. Now do an impossibility again. That's what this psalm gets us praying, isn't it? But it gets us praying it with belief about the future. It gets us praying it with an assumption about what will happen in the future. Look at um, verse 5 and 6. Lord, restore our fortune, says this psalm, verse 5, because those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. 
He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The psalmist longs for the restoration and prays for the restoration of God's people with this conviction about the future, that it'll be like someone sowing seed for a harvest. And he says, those who sow in tears, well, it'll be completely reversed, completely transformed. Those tears will turn into shouts of joy. The dead seed that gets buried in the ground, it'll turn into sheaves of wheat for a harvest, armful after armful. That's what we believe the future will hold for us. That's what God will do. Now, I don't suppose many of us know much about sowing seed. Um, you might have, uh, some of us will do more than others. You might have planted a few tomato plants, maybe, uh, for the summer. A bit of fun, let's see what we get and enjoy them in our summer salads. Um, and it's a bit of a hobby for us, and I think that means we lose the power of this image a little bit. Because for the folk of this psalm, the image of sowing seed, well, you sowed seed as if your life depended on it. Imagine planting crops again and again. Imagine planting crops after a hard season when you've hardly seen any fruit. You would sow those seeds in tear, wouldn't you? Lord, if you don't bring a harvest, we're doomed. We're we're dead. Sowing's hard, sometimes cruelly unrewarding and full of grief and exhaustion. But this psalmist said, "What what does a seed need? What does a harvest need? Well, it needs seed. The sun will take care of itself and it needs water. Here's the future. For those who continue to worship God to serve him, you're sowing the seed, and even if it is watered with your tears, that is enough. There will surely be a harvest. It will not, it will not fail. That seed that is left after the flesh of the fruit is gone, looks dead. It will produce life. Sow the seed, proclaim his word. It'll be hard, but your tears won't be wasted. Your tears will turn to joy. This psalm says, look to the future restoration. God will do the impossible again. He will bring restoration. One Bible commentator, Derek Kidner, says, this psalm speaks to us. Miracles of the past, it bids us treat as measures of the future. Dry places treat as potential rivers. Hard toil and good seed as the certain prelude to harvest. Certain prelude to a harvest. Look to restoration future. Now, I think that's pretty exciting, don't you? That promise. And actually, I think it's totally unique in all the world. Now, as human beings, we are purpose-driven, aren't we? We are future-focused. Everything we do, we do thinking, I wonder how this will end up. I hope it ends like this. We can't bear to live life disconnected. We all live with goals and longings, don't we? Just for most people, our longings are rather fragile, aren't they? It's hope for the best. But hope with not much rest, isn't it? No guarantees, no relief. What are people counting on most of the time? A bit of luck, a bit of hard work, um, hope of the markets, the skill of a doctor. Not always much hope there, is there? But the thing about Christianity that we see here in Psalm 126... The thing that makes Christianity so worthwhile is that it leads somewhere. That there is going to be a harvest. God says there will be a harvest. You can count on it. 
And this isn't la-la land in this psalm, by the way. This is already happening. You see, I think the Lord Jesus said that all the scriptures are fulfilled in him. And I think that means Psalm 126 is fulfilled in him too. There's a moment in John chapter 12 where some Greek fellows want to see Jesus. And they say, we, we want to see Jesus. And so the disciples go to Jesus and uh, say, there's some Greek people here to see you. And Jesus replies uh, this in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus there describes himself as the seed that would die, that would be buried in the ground. And when he dies, he is the seed of new life. The harvest, he brings the harvest of resurrection life. You see, he he sowed the the seed of his life in tears in the garden, didn't he? He's the one who wept. He's the one who bore himself to the cross. He is the one who, when he comes out of the tomb, there are shouts of joy and there is a harvest. The early church, the global church, the local church, that that is this harvest of Psalm 126. It's already happening. You see, we can really look forward to the future with hope. We can really have longing that will not end in despair because Jesus has already delivered. Jesus is already delivering and Jesus will continue to deliver. He's already bringing in his harvest. And just as God would not let the tears of the Lord Jesus be wasted, he will not let your tears be wasted either. This prayer already answered it. This prayer is already answered in Jesus. And so we can, we can pray this prayer. We can long with this prayer. But actually it starts to transform our, our living, doesn't it? Our task is not just to pray this, but to get on with it too, isn't it? Joining in the work of sowing and reaping. The work that Jesus began, we get on with. Sowing the seed, preaching the word, giving his life in tears. We take up the mantle. A future that is so secure it's already happening. Wow. There's something to shape your longing, isn't it? Now, some of us here today find living in longing particularly hard. And if that's you, I'd like to speak to you now, just for a moment. And I'd like to say this, I'd like to focus on this. Psalm 126 tells us that Jesus' tears have been transformed he promises you he promises you yours will be too and no word of god has ever failed some of us carry a deep sense of sadness um, for those who won't hear us speak of jesus right now i'd like to speak to you now if you'll listen to what are you doing when you try to speak to people of Jesus and there's sadness that they won't listen, what are you doing? Well, according to Psalm 126, you are sowing in tears, aren't you? So what does this psalm say? It says, keep going. Because there will be a harvest. Some of us this morning are burdened by a deep desire for our own spiritual revival and restoration. 
Let me say something to you this morning. This psalm says this, there is more. There is a harvest already happening. It's already coming. It's there, but it's not easy, is it? It's like sowing seed. It's service. It's giving of life, giving your life. But it carries with it the promise of joy. So get involved. This then is Psalm 126. Something to shape our longing. Remember restoration past. Know that however much the timescales and your longings frustrate you, you are already a miracle. God has already restored you. And as you long for the future, maybe you feel shaky about it. Well, know this, that God is already fulfilling his promise. His harvest is already happening. And though it is hard, he's at work. Do you long for more? The restoration of the fortunes of the church, God is doing it. You are part of it. Might the final word then be this. It can be dramatic. It can be slow. But this psalm says it will come. Friends, let's that, let that shape our longings. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father in heaven, loving Lord, we're praying for our church. We're praying for our country. We're praying for several people we love, that they'll be spiritually empowered and renewed. Father, this morning, help us rest in your timing, knowing our tears in our prayers and in our lives are like seed that once watered will produce a harvest. Transform our longings into joy today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.